Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly. I'm your host, George Heffler, and this is the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is Jerry Martin. How's it going, Jerry? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to have you on. And we're talking about a really great movie today. Um, But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your history with horror, where you started, what, uh, what your sort of favorites are. Do you remember the first horror movie that you watched? Um, you know, I don't remember specifically. I know that I definitely got into horror from like a pretty young age. I remember being like six or seven years old watching Jaws with my grandma. And uh, I guess kind of as I was a kid, like I kind of always had free range over like, like the TV or whatever. So I was always just kind of watching whatever was on. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of like always been a part of my life in some way. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that it feels like those the two styles of horror fans are the people who got into it very young and sort of been a part of their lifestyle their entire time or people who came into it too young <laughs> had to leave and then come back to horror. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what happened with you, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely mentioned it before, but the it TV uh, miniseries really uh, fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> it, interestingly, that's one of one of few that I never saw. I never got had a chance to see that one. It's funny. I even like so when that really messed me up. I was it, it was years later, and it was I think uh, 2005, and Saw Two came out, and oh, I yeah. was uh, I have a big fear of needles, and in oh. Saw Two, oh my god, she gets thrown did. into the needle pit. Oh, I know. And <laughs> I was that was like the first movie where I was like, well, maybe I'll get back into it because <laughs> I, I was I was 12 years old in 2005, so it was like. You're, you're just getting back into it where you're like, oh, like maybe it's time. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I was so into those Saw movies, too. And, like, I also have, like, that needle thing. And, oh, my God, I just had to, like, completely leave the room while that was yeah. going on. <laughs> it's really rough. So you say that you were really into Saw. Is is that your favorite sort of style of horror? Is those sort no, of, like, torture ones? Or what's your favorite, then? So I guess I kind of have like like two kind of favorites, right? I really like kind of like the classical like spirit slash demon type stuff where I find it difficult to get kind of scared about more like everyday things. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something that I know could happen to me, then I tend not to get scared about it. It's more stuff that's unexplained or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's not really the case with a lot of people. Yeah. Like slasher movies don't get me at all because I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a dude with a knife. But something like a ghost will scare me, even though I don't believe in ghosts. But <laughs> whatever. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me because for me, it's definitely the opposite thing where I don't believe in ghosts either, but I definitely believe in people going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's more like fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. um is kind of uh what that taps into for me so there's that and yeah. then there's also kind of like like a more recent trend which you and i have talked about a lot is um kind of what i like to call attention porn mm-hmm. which are like, like these movies that are coming out now where the entire movie is just like there's no comic relief it's just brutal from minute yeah. one to the end generally speaking i don't really love a lot of gore in a movie but i can tolerate it if it's kind of servicing a plot so mm-hmm. you know um i mean you and i have talked at length about midsummer the witch the killing of a sacred deer is another one like that yeah, yeah like yeah. the entire movie is just so tense um, it's really interesting that these sort of movies uh because they take it so seriously i feel like that's part of why other people are taking it seriously as well um mm-hmm. a lot of the classic horror you know, slashers and stuff, even the ones 
Freddy Krueger has sort of a reputation as, like, a jokester and a prankster. Oh, yeah. But in the first one, that's not super the case. He definitely still cracks a couple jokes, but he uh, he definitely is not nearly as funny and joking around as he becomes in the, in the series. But even in that first one, and even in the Friday the 13th movies, and, and you know, you have your Chuckies and stuff, they have some kind of comic relief. And on one hand, you're like, oh, it makes sense because that lets you kind of lighten the mood a little bit in time for you to get scared again. But mm-hmm. with these, as you call them, tension porn movies, they're taking it very seriously. There's no comic relief, and it's it sort of sends you down a rabbit hole. Totally, <laughs> totally. Every I mean, single thing builds. Well, what I think it is for me, too, is, like, when I'm going into, like, like, watching a horror movie, the one thing that I'm looking for is, like, a real sense of dread. Jump scares are fine with me, but it's not really what I'm looking for. I want to be glued to the screen while my mind is, like, please look away. Please, like, get out of here. Go do something fun. Like, like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Like, this, like, new trend of movies, like like the ones that we've just mentioned, I think really tap into that. And I think the one that we're going to talk about tonight, I don't I don't want to say maybe kicked it off, but I think kind of really falls in with that, maybe to a lesser degree. Right. But. Yeah. Well, let's not waste any more time. Will the movie that we're talking about is It Follows, released technically in 2014, although that was just for uh, festivals and that sort of thing. Got a wide release in 2015 and really sort of took off. It did really well critically. It did a little less well with audiences, and I think that a lot of that is because, to your point, it did sort of bring this tension porn. If not starting it, it definitely is towards the beginning of the trend, and even if it's not the official first, it was a lot of people's first. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same people who didn't like The Witch are the same people who don't like this, you know? It is slow, and it is methodical, but... A lot of people are like, oh, it's boring. And it's it's not, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think that it's boring just because it's slow. I think that it's taking its time. It's really making you feel what you're supposed to feel. For sure. I think, I think it's just, it's like a totally different animal, right? There's, there's the two kinds of of horror movies. There's the ones where you're going in there and like, oh, you know, something jumps out, goes boo. And you're like, oh, that was scary. But then there's, but then there's a movie like this that, like you said, really, really takes its time, kind of the whole thing from start to finish is unsettling. And I mean, I completely sympathize with people who aren't into that because realistically, it's not, at least in the moment, it's not a hugely enjoyable thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's also interesting that you say that this doesn't have it. And to me, part of what makes this movie so good is that I think it does a really masterful job of sort of blending that dread with jump scares because it's it is impossible to say this does not have any jump scares because there are a few yeah. yeah every now every now and then but the difference is that they're used sparingly and to great effect mm-hmm. <laughs> the the fact that they're so rare in the movie makes them that much better it really it doesn't feel like a different movie when they're jumping back and forth between it it still yeah. feels very coherent I agree. And and like, like at least for me, the whole time uh, that I'm watching this, I'm like pretty much on edge, scanning the background and like, like just waiting for someone to walk into frame. And then like uh, there's the one where they uh, they go to the guy's house and, you know, the um, I don't know what it is, like, like a chunk of like the closet falls away. And like, like that's like a little bit of a jump scare. It's like, oh, OK. All right. But then like you're still on the edge of your seat. Right. Yeah. You don't get the 
usually when there's a jump scare, you have a little bit of time afterward where you're like, oh, okay, I can relax a little bit now. And that's not the case. Exactly. Yeah. Usually like the characters will laugh and be like, oh, that's so funny. Not here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So for those of you who don't know about It Follows, it was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. And basically a young woman named Jamie, she goes by Jay. She has a sexual encounter and basically it becomes victim of a curse. And she is stalked by an entity, basically. There's not really any other way to put it besides entity. Uh, It. (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah, the it in It Follows um, (laughs) is is following her around. And it's clearly supernatural. But um, yeah, it's such a simple premise. And um, I was reading some information about David Robert Mitchell himself. And he said that, it's actually a lot of it is just based off of a reoccurring dream that he used to have where people would be following him slowly. And God, it, if it's, if it's anything like this movie, it's, it's way worse than just a dream. My dude, that's that's a reoccurring nightmare. Well, I think, Um, I think it's even, it's, I mean, you know, so it's a personal nightmare for him, but I think it's one that kind of everybody experiences like, like that dream where like, you know, you're trying to run towards or away something and you're getting nowhere this kind of taps into that exact same thing. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter how far you go, this thing is still here. And it's slow, and yeah, it's uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it is. So the movie, we don't actually start with Jay. It, it starts off, and there's a girl who's running around a street. And we right away get this great sort of panorama shot of, of the block that they're on. Which occurs and, throughout the whole movie, by the way. Yes. Which I love. They're wonderful. And the girl that we don't know her name, she runs outside and she's running around the block and you can't see what she's running from. There's another woman outside who asks if she needs help. She says no. Her dad comes out and asks her what's wrong. She doesn't talk to him. She's just running around the street and where the camera is following her as she comes around. So we sort of get like a little bit of a 360 spin. And you, all the whole time, you're wondering what's going on. You have no idea. This is literally the beginning of the movie. And she she gets in the car after basically just running in a circle, runs back into the house, gets in the car, uh, and she just drives. And she drives and drives, and it, it's nighttime the next time we see her. It was about – it was becoming evening mm-hmm. when we first see her. And she drives as far as she can. She gets to the beach. And we just see her leaving this tearful voicemail to her dad and her mom and saying how much she loves her and him and and that she's sorry for being such a little shit sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're so curious about what's happening at this point. It's it's really great at um, a lot of movies will do a lot of like characterization right up at the top. And for me, It Follows does a really good job of establishing the mystery right up at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, does. the dread is present from the first second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously it doesn't take them too long to explain what's going on, but I, I love the movie just drops you right into it. It's not playing any games. We're here. Yeah. And so the, you're, you're feeling it right away. And then we, there's like a hard cut and we see <laughs> this same young woman uh, now in corpse form <laughs> and <laughs> with her leg interestingly snapped in a yes. in a weird snapped, way 
literally in half. Uh, the foot on the other leg is completely off. It's literally just like st- sitting a couple feet to, in the distance. Um, <laughs> and her body is mangled. And for real, I don't know if you've seen Grizzly Man, but uh, no, I haven't. All I could think of was at the end of Grizzly Man when Werner Herzog is talking to Timothy Treadwell's girlfriend, and he he watches the or he listens to the to the like audio oh, of yeah, Timothy have... Treadwell getting eaten by the bears. Yes, <laughs> and he's just like, you must never listen to this. Oh my god, I and have like, seen that. <laughs> and like just the brutality of of her getting murdered there with the voicemail happening. It's like. That's the vibe I get from the beginning of this movie is just, you must never watch this. (laughs) Just whatever this is, it's bad. You don't want it. There it is. Now's your chance to get out. Um, Not to, not to (laughs) steal from another horror movie. (laughs) Um, So, so we get this great scene right up top where they establish it all. And then we get to meet our main character. Jay, uh, she's a, a college student at Oakland University, and she has this boyfriend, Hugh, and we get some character development here where we get to just sort of follow along on their date. Um, they're very charming. They play a fun game while they're waiting in line, and at one point, Hugh points out someone that Jay says she can't see, and he freaks out, and they leave. So you're already, you're like, all right, I'm starting to put two and two together. This one girl was running around from something that we couldn't see. Now Hugh is talking about something that people can't see. Something messed up is going on here. Hugh and Jay go on a second date now, and they have sex. But afterward, in sort of the pillow talk, or whatever the car version of pillow talk (laughs) is, Hugh chloroforms her. It's it's a really brutal scene. Yeah, very disturbing. And like, yet, and yet, I think what's so interesting, actually, what happens throughout a lot of the movie is the camera is totally still during the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the action is all right on the screen. You're just watching this happen again. Yeah, just and even even camera movement is sort of like just a slow zoom is pretty much as right, like right. as much as you're gonna get. There's a really interesting one that. It's, it's very it's right at the beginning as as Jay is getting ready for her date and she's sort of staring into the mirror that she has and kind of like adjusting a little bit. And this is probably the most dramatic camera movement in the entire movie, but it is a slow zoom in on the mirror as she's standing mm-hmm. there. And I think that it works uh, twofold because one, you get a chance to sort of absorb her room and the things in it and kind of get some characterization that way. But for people who've already seen the movie and who know what, what's coming for her as the movie goes along, it gives you a chance to really be like, Oh, we're looking at this mirror for so long because she's spending the rest of her life looking backwards. Like she literally has to be looking over her shoulder for the rest of her life now. There's also small details in there, which um, so sure. I just watched I just watched the movie uh, again yesterday, and I noticed for the first time that there's a picture of uh, of her with her father there, mm-hmm. who later on in the movie, which never even gets talked about really, um, you know the uh, the entity it emulates her father. Yeah, it's, it does. it's never spelled out whatsoever. So if you're not really watching, you might not even catch that. 
Yeah, um, they give you they give you a couple of hints as to what's yeah. happening with that. Yeah, um, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it in a little more depth as we get to that part of the movie. But it's yeah. just this this particular scene where they give you these breadcrumbs, like the picture of her dad, and like the sort of uh, tonal metaphor of the like looking over her shoulder and everything. And it's really interesting that you're it's sort of putting so much of this stuff right up top that you can enjoy um, coming back to it. It yeah. really lets you get some rewatchability out of it because it's already a great movie. But and um, one one thing that I really love too is that this movie does a lot without actually using dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I think is pretty apparent to me about Jay and really like, like all of like, like her friends throughout the movie is she's incredibly immature. Um, not in like a you know throwing a fit or like like being like a child kind of way, but like she has like this childlike quality to her. Yeah. And as you're kind of watching her on their date or while she's getting ready, and you know even during that pillow talk scene that you're talking about, she's sitting there playing with the plants by the side of the road. You know mm-hmm. the same way that that like a kid would, and that it really kind of sets up, I guess the way that that her and all of her friends kind of then are going to act throughout the rest of the movie you don't really even get a sense for how old she is. I found myself questioning the entire movie, how old is this person? Right. Um, the only person whose age is explicitly mentioned is Hugh. He's 21, but that doesn't really clue you in at all to how old Jay is or really any of uh, any of the other characters. So there's, I don't know, there's just this really interesting quality where the entire time I'm both trying to figure out who this person is and also what the hell is going on. Yeah, no, I I totally am on board with that. And to continue talking about sort of this pillow talk scene, because I think that there is a lot to break down in it, mm-hmm. um, even before he assaults her. She's very sort of lethargic in the moment. It's very yeah. um, understandably so, but um, it's very sort of absent minded and and it's dreamy, which is something that really happens a lot in this movie there's a lot of sort of things that make you feel like you're watching a dream or you're in a dream oh yeah obviously because this is based on his dream i'm sure that that was very much intentional but it's it's really communicated and in this pillow talk scene she's explicitly talking about dreaming she's talking about a daydream that she had about you know driving in a car with her boyfriend and everything and a lot of this sort of dream stuff is not just in the explicit text of the movie, but there's little things around it as well, where uh, at one point we see Jay's mom and her hair is completely covering her face. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a big thing in dreams is not being able to like, if you don't explicitly know somebody, you can't put their, like they don't have a face really, or it's, it's very vague. In that same scene, there's a really interesting shot where um, mom is in the foreground, but she's completely, uh, you know, not in focus. And it's just looking at pictures in the background. Mm-hmm. So it also kind of has like, like that, like dreaminess where you don't even really know, you know, where you're looking or kind of what to focus on. Yeah. Kind of it. It's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And and you actually never see the mom's face uh, in its entirety throughout the entire movie, which I think is interesting. And, you know, there's sort of time anachronisms where... Oh, my God, everywhere. Yeah, you know, there's like a very... Um, when she's she has like a, a cola sitting outside next to the pool that she's in at one point, <laughs> and it's a very retro-style cola can. 
Um, the TV and, in her room is like the biggest old CRT like yeah. I've ever seen. It's like yeah. what what year is this movie? Same thing with her age, right? Like yeah. everything is everything is like in question. Yeah, and it, yet, it really keeps you on uneven ground. Right. Yeah, it's really unsettling. It really is. And even even the little things where it's like looking at someone use what is essentially a smartphone or an e-reader in this like. God, it looks like the 70s just threw up on that living room. <laughs> <laughs> really, like, a lot of the background, uh, like, the set is it, the same thing. It's like, yeah, just, like, whatever decade this is, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so after that small digression, Jay is out on this date. She's in the car, and she gets assaulted by Hugh. She wakes up, and she's tied to a wheelchair, and... While she's tied to this wheelchair, Hugh uh, explains to her that – he basically explains the rules of the game. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He says, you're going to be pursued by an entity. Uh, <laughs> only the people who are at some point going to be pursued can see this entity. It takes the appearance of any person. And he also says that it, it seems like it takes the form of people that you love just to hurt you. He mm-hmm. says this right up at the top. And – he says that if it catches you, it kills you and then goes down the line. So whoever passed the disease on, in this case, Hugh to Jay, uh, if it kills Jay, it'll start going after Hugh. And the only way to avoid this is to continue uh, passing it along. His explanation sounds so much like something that you'd see on Facebook, like a status, like, <laughs> like, like you've process. been infected with the thing. And if you don't pass it along to three people, then it's coming for you. Please don't read this. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so he's giving her this explanation. And what really jumps out to me is, again, sort of how the camera represents the vibe of what's happening at the same time. We have this very steady camera for all of these very dreamy sequences, but in in this scene where he's giving her the explanation, it's probably one of the most urgent feeling scenes in the movie, in my opinion. And one of the only scenes with actual exposition, too. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's explicitly going, here, here are the rules. And what really jumped out at me is that it's not necessarily camera movement, but the camera is attached to the wheelchair in this scene. And so as Jay wakes up and sort of comes to her senses a little bit more and very reasonably becomes more and more agitated and afraid, she is moving the, the wheelchair around and that adds a shake to the camera that really, I think, adds a lot to the scene. And it's little things like that that really stand out in this movie because you have so much time to really sit there and absorb it. Mm-hmm. Unless you really appreciate sort of the craft of what they're doing. Yeah. Instead of just waiting for the next jump thing. And that, you know, like, like you say, I mean, the scenes are long and uh, it, it really does let you kind of settle into each one and kind of, you know, get a feel for what's going on and really appreciate the interesting camera work that's shown throughout. Yeah, Absolutely. And so as Hugh is giving Jay this explanation, we see a naked woman walking towards them. Hugh is panicking. We find out later just from seeing her that the woman following them at this point is in the shape of Hugh's mother. Mm 
which I just noticed for the first time when I watched it yesterday, blew my mind. Yeah, there's a lot of little things like that where it's – this is, again, sort of that rewatchability where it's you notice sort of the disguises of it coming back, and it really lets you sort of try and puzzle out sort of the motivations of this entity – is it really, as he says, doing it just to hurt them? Like, it seems like it must because it's not like, oh, I see my mom uh, and she looks totally normal. So let me go over to her and see what's up. <laughs> she is putting it mildly disheveled and quite naked. Yes. Um, yes. Quite uh, as, Which, as nude as the day she was born. There is a lot of nudity. There's a lot of sex in this movie. And none there of is, it, but none of it is sexy. None of it is enjoyable in the least. Yeah, it's <laughs> there's a ton of nudity, a ton of sex, and none of it is sexy or good or uh, even like, the sex in the car. When like ostensibly this should be very enjoyable for the both of them, it still feels I don't know like mm-hmm. wrong in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess maybe that's Hughes uh, what he's ulterior motives exactly. Yeah. Um, but like like it just every part of it just feels. Very wrong. Very, very much, uh, you know, in line of what you'd expect from a movie that is essentially demonizing sex, literally. Well, and it's also really interesting that that is also something that sort of puts it in another category from a lot of these classic horror movies where, especially in like the slasher genre, it's blood and it's boobs. And like, it's how much of both can you stuff into the movie? (laughs) And so much, so many of those classic horror movies, you know, Friday the 13th, again, jumps out at me just because I've seen it so many times. That franchise has a ton of nudity in it, and that's just the versions that we actually got. I know that um, Friday the 13th Part 5, directed by a porn director, oh, and there was a lot more nudity in it than wound <laughs> up in the movie. So it, it, it's – all of those movies sort of take – this joyous sort of, hey, we're seeing what we can get away with approach to nudity. Mm-hmm. And this, like you said, it's very much demonizing it. And it's very, none of it is enjoyable. It's just very interesting the way that it, that it really separates itself. It almost makes you feel like ashamed of the human body. Like we love seeing people naked. It's, you know, uh, we're supposed to. But every single time that I'm sitting there and I see that this thing walking towards, uh, you know, the characters, be it the naked mom or like a naked dude, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, they're naked. <laughs> <laughs> so so they see this naked lady and Hugh is like, look, you better believe this because I don't want you to die because if you die, then I'm next. So he he drives her home, basically, literally drops her on the street. <laughs> uh, he pulls her out says uh, don't let her touch it and drives off and uh, and that's just that there's the entire like, explanation for the movie <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah so it's basically it's saying all right the audience is now on board now we can really <laughs> kick things off and uh and so jay's sister and uh her name is kelly and uh kelly's two friends paul and yara they pull her in and, and they get her okay and Jay talks to the cops. Unfortunately, the cops cannot find uh, a naked woman or Hugh because we find out that he was living under uh, a false identity. He His name is not Hugh. <laughs> he, he did not live where he claimed to live. This is clearly very planned out for him. 
that this is something that he's been thinking about for a while. And it's never explicitly stated, but the impression that I get is the first girl is also someone that Hugh slash his real name is Jeff uh, had sex with. I got and, that idea as well. And, yeah, and, and that she didn't get away from it. And so Jeff is is doing as much as he can to prepare Jay for this so that he doesn't have to worry about it. But he also, obviously, this is, it's false pretenses. It's essentially rape. Um, and it's, at the very least, it's severe sexual assault. Um and and he so he he's doing all this for himself. He's helping her for himself. It's all very selfish. But you can sort of understand like his first plan didn't work. <laughs> it came <laughs> back for him. clearly it's chasing him, and and he's he's freaked out and and it sucks. He's in a shitty situation. He shouldn't have handled it the way he did. But like what else what else was he supposed to do at the end well, of the day? It's it's that or die. And as, as the movie goes on, you know, I mean, at the start, like, you're like, what a monster. How could he possibly do this to her? And by the end of the movie, you're practically begging for her to do the exact same thing to yeah, someone else. Yes, exactly. So Jay does not necessarily actually believe it at this point, which I think is interesting. It would be very hard to believe it, but I also don't know how else you would explain this, like, weird-ass naked lady walking towards you with no, with no, like, she doesn't say anything. It's very much like, uh, I don't know what else it could be. But She starts to believe it quite drugged. quickly. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is sort of, and what is the most obvious homage to uh, classic horror, there's a shot that is very much Halloween. And she is, Jay is in the back of the the classroom and she's just sort of staring out the window absentmindedly and she sees a woman in a hospital gown walking towards her and that shot is so reminiscent of jamie lee curtis looking out the window and seeing michael myers standing out there um but unlike michael myers this lady in the hospital <laughs> gown keeps right on coming <laughs> and the the blank stare that really all of the uh, all of the versions of of it have is just so terrifying. Yeah, like, to the and, core. And, and all of the like teachers and students are like, "What the hell is happening?" Because as far as they can see, it's just Jay like uh, freaking out, basically. <laughs> just being um, a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's you're really starting to understand what she's in store for here because it hasn't been that long it's been two days at this point because it was the next day when the cops couldn't find anything and then this is i guess the day after so it's it didn't take them that long considering that it was uh it seemed like a pretty decent drive so so it's interesting that it it's slow but it just keeps coming that's part of the thing that makes it so scary is that it is just constant Every moment that you're sleeping or sitting still is a moment that it's coming for you. Which, for me, I mean, every time that that Jay goes to sleep on camera, or you know, at one point she passes out, or you know, gets gets knocked out, and every single time that she goes to sleep, she wakes up, and I'm like, "Holy shit, get the hell out of there!" You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And sort of to to jump ahead a little bit, this sort of keeps happening where she. 
manages to escape for a little bit, but before she can really catch a breath, boom, there it is again. She sees this happen a couple of times. There's there's one scene where she's in someone's house. I think she's in their own house. And, yeah, she's in their house. And so let me just I'll, I'll let me set the scene a little bit here. There's there's a moment coming up in in this part of the movie that I know is coming. I've seen the movie before, <laughs> and <laughs> like an idiot, I made soup for dinner. <laughs> oh my god, no! <laughs> and, and literally, when I was talking to people at work about the movie, I was like, "Oh yeah, the movie's so great." You remember that one scene where the tall guy comes in the room? <laughs> like <laughs> that's this is the scene that literally stuck with me the most because it is. In my, for my money, it is the most explicitly scary. I mean, it's it's so scary that that you literally just skipped over the part where she sees a naked woman pissing herself in the kitchen. It's true. I did <laughs> even, skip that. So even eager that, to talk about this. <laughs> even that scary like, like visual is overshadowed by just this tall guy. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, Jay is in this room. I'm eating soup. <laughs> there's the the friend knocks on the door and she's like hey it's me like you're we're fine they go to open the door and paul and i want to say that it's the sister kelly who's also in the room already and they prepare to sort of open the door and be ready to swing a swing a, a shovel or a broom a broom yeah, a broom very effective <laughs> again again these are children right yeah and, like these are children in adult bodies like the kid picks up the broom as if it's going to save their souls yeah he also picks up the broom with the like uh actual broom part up where it's like at least if right. you like hit them with just the broom handle like it feels like that would hurt more i don't know <laughs> um but yeah so so they're getting ready to do this big production of opening the door and uh look oh it's just our friend yara but then from behind Yara, this just enormously tall man <laughs> just sort of <laughs> leans in um, under the doorframe and swoops into the room. And well, I, I just about shit myself oh every my time. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it, is a, it is a great jump scare. I normally hate jump scares. Well, and this, the, the thing about this jump scare is, you know, there's no like, like sudden, sudden like, like crash or like sudden noise. It's just this dude is coming in, and, and 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 his size is really jarring. And I actually looked it up because I was so like interested in how large this man is. It turns out that he's one half of the tallest twins uh, currently living. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so he comes in, and like you said, there's no there's no sound or anything. It's also normally when there is sort of a fake out jump scare where it's like, oh, it was the cat that was like shuffling around in a closet or something like that. Normally that's the jump scare. Mm -hmm. And so when we get the fake out where they're like, Oh, it's the kid. You're like, Oh, okay. I get a, a moment to breathe here. No, no, you don't. <laughs> um, this dude, like I said, he literally just like swoops into the room. Absolutely terrifying. It's terrifying to Jay as well. And she flees from the house and they catch up with her at, at a playground nearby. And this is another shot that I really love. This, this whole scene really uh, sort of works for me because not only do we get this great scare when she goes to the playground, she sits in this, she sits on a swing that doesn't really have a lot around it. And I think that her sitting there in the dark on this swing with 
like her. She's frantically looking around, does a really awesome job of sort of capturing the isolation that she feels at this point, mm-hmm. where no one believes her. Uh, she's freaking out. This thing is clearly real. It's clearly coming. Uh, it's it's easy to kind of put yourself in her mindset of, of being this freaked out and feeling this alone. And I think that being able to put that in a visual medium like a movie and have it really communicated that way is remarkable for this guy's directorial debut. Like, he does an awesome job with it. Totally. It's, it's like I said before, this movie does so much showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. So... With the help, so this this uh, the Scooby Gang, the, the mystery team, they <laughs> they're all trying to figure out what happens. They discover Hugh's real name and talk to him, and they're they're starting to piece this together. And basically, what they're finding out is that they don't have a ton of options. They are practicing with guns and stuff, but. We see them at like on the beach, and but you, you, you got to go to the cabin in the woods. I mean, you have to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they go to the lake house, and he, they're they're like uh, practicing this defensive positioning that they have, and none of it works, even a little bit. Their it, plan is terrible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then and they don't even implement it. Like like. <laughs> You know, she's practicing with this gun, and they're like, okay, great, you'll go ahead and you'll shoot it, no problem. And then they lock the gun back up in the shit. <laughs> well, she she goes in there, and she gets it. She, yeah. she they, they go in, um, she shoots it in the head, and it just gets back up and keeps going. Again, <laughs> sort of cementing this, like, you're, you're fucked. Like, there's nothing to do about this except pass it on. The whole time that she's trying to shoot at it, she's shooting in the direction of one of her friends yeah. who who has no idea what's happening. He can't see what's going on. And like, I don't know, just the one thing that really, really stuck out to me in this movie is how realistically these, these people are acting. This, this chick is so panicked. She can't even, it's her second time ever firing a gun. She's not even worried about shooting anybody else. She's mm. just like, I got to kill this thing. And it's, scary for the for her friends too like you're scared for her friends because you're like oh my god somebody's gonna get hit with this and at at this point they know that it's real because um because paul paul hits it with a chair uh because it grabs her by the hair which is such a good scene oh yeah her hair we see it from their uh view as well they do a few times in the movie yeah um yeah yeah her hair just suddenly like just like goes up in the air and she's like screaming so paul comes over hits it with his chair and it just push you know like you don't even see it but he just suddenly flies back with like such force so now the stakes are real now the whole gang is in on it this thing is this is happening the it just the entity just keeps coming for her so she freaks out gets into greg's car who drove them to this beach house and she just flees. She crashes in a cornfield, though, um, and she she wakes up in the hospital. Now, at this point, Greg is the latest member of this group and also the most sort of separate from the group. Not just he's the bad of, boy. Yeah, he's he is the bad boy. <laughs> he's got the old car. You know, uh, he's, you know, he's got the long hair. He's He's got a bad home life. You know, he talks about how his parents won't even, or his mom won't even know that he's gone. He's a cool dude. Yeah. And cool guy, Greg, you know, he doesn't really believe that the entity exists. So uh, he offers to have sex with Jay. 
and they do. They have sex, and he uh, she passes it on to him. So they sort of feel good about this because Greg doesn't see anything for a couple days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in his mind, this is sort of just a like, oh, she was making it up the whole time, or it was hysteria or whatever. You know, it's, it's not real. And he's fully relaxed <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and cut to... It's an evening. It's an evening time shot. We see Jay like we're like we're just still following her and she sees Greg walking up to Greg's house. Nothing weird about that. In pajamas. Yes. In pajamas. Uh, And then it smashes the window. So where we we know it's not him. She runs. She tries. She tries to call Greg and he doesn't answer. So she runs across and she sees Greg's mother knocking on the door oh man and she she says like greg don't answer the door and the (laughs) entity just looks at her looks back to the door and starts knocking harder (laughs) (laughs) very freaky and a reason i can't necessarily put a pin on why that really freaks me out but just like the persistence it's like really intense i think that what it is um is for me which i think i noticed more last night than, than when I first viewed it is, you know, at the beginning of the movie, Hugh or Jeff, he, uh, he explains that like, you know, it takes the form of people that, uh, that you love in order to hurt you more. And I think that this, this in particular really like drives home. This thing is malevolent. Mm-hmm. Like it not, it doesn't just want to kill you. Like it hates you. Yeah. It, 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 it like, like it looks at her in the way that you would look at your worst enemy. Ugh. And Really, just this entire like like sequence is my favorite in the whole movie. Watching it just so casually, just break the window, hop on through, and then yeah, then it sees her, it gets pissed off, and then just starts hammering away at the door. Kind of brings brings to mind um, in Hereditary when the mother is like slamming her head oh, um, yeah. on also the uh, attic door. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's just something that's just so. I, I mean, that's the only word that I have for it is is malevolent about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 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 great in both movies. They do a great job with kind of capturing that energy Mm -hmm. Um, and to put sort of a coda on it when Greg does, in (laughs) fact, open the door, she leaps upon him. Naked, of course. Yes. Naked, of course. Sexy sexy mom. Right. Sexy (laughs) mom who then proceeds to have sex with Greg. um, But it's he's very quickly dead. It's it's like I don't know if they're like sucking the life force out of them or what but it's interesting to me that where the the girl at the very beginning was torn asunder there's no other way to put it (laughs) um he he just sort of looks drained and i don't know if it's because jay is right there so it's like let me just knock this one out real quick and then i can get over to that (laughs) or what or if it's if it's literally just if there's not that much rhyme or reason to it, if it's just doing what it can to hurt people. I, I almost wonder if um, if it almost has something to do with, uh, you know, the physicality of it, mm-hmm. um, meaning, you know, mom being the female is draining him, whereas uh, I'm assuming that that the girl at the beginning is getting chased. You know, it's a little bit more like forced um, mm-hmm. in that way. I mean, right. maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh it just I could I could see how maybe both of them were almost like, you know, a form of sexuality. Like, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Very, again, very unsettling. I'm like, I'm like freaking out a little bit just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really freaky. So Jay sees this happen. She sees the the corpse of Greg, and she she gets into a car and just flees. And she spends the night outdoors. Um, and here's where we sort of get to the quandary, where we're like, do should Jay keep passing this on? She for sure knows that it's real. She knows that it will kill whoever she passes it to. So there's the real moral dilemma of do you pass this on? Do you knowingly put someone else in danger? Do you do it to someone that you don't know and explain it to them or not explain it to them? Do you do it to someone you do know who understands the danger that they're getting into? There's really – it's it's not just shades of gray. It's one big gray. <laughs> and um, to this end, Jay – she spends the night outdoors and sees three young men on a boat and she sort of, she undresses and gets into her underwear, which is, it's passing as a bathing suit and she gets into the lake. Um, and we don't see her have sex with them though. So the implication, because it's, this movie has certainly not been shy about showing us sex at this point. The implication to me is that she does not have sex with them, that she, uh, sort of has this idea and then turns away from it. It's, she feels it's immoral. Kind of, again, speaking to like the breadcrumbs that this movie leaves behind, um, the outfit that she's wearing, uh, she's then wearing in the next scene when she's back at home, and that's not wet. Which, yeah. which to me said, she didn't go through with it, she didn't get in the lake. Like, you see her taking her first steps, but she doesn't fully submerge herself. Yeah. So that that's kind of my takeaway from that. But again, I mean, it's interesting because it kind of does leave it up to you to figure that out. And right then, Jay also, she talks to Paul about how they were each other's first kiss and that, you know, it's obvious that they really liked each other, but that he messed things up by kissing her sister as well, like literally that same day. And um, <laughs> he he offers, as, as well as Greg, uh, he offers to have sex with her. And so it's obvious throughout this entire movie that Paul is very much into Jay. Oh, my God. Um, the way that he looks at her yeah. is, uh, I mean, that that's a horror movie in itself. <laughs> yeah, he's kid's got puppy dog eyes the entire time. He is so mad when she has sex with Greg. And it's very funny how mad he is. But he's like, he's like the, the sort of mad where it's like, oh, I still am interested in her, so I can't be too mad because then I'll look like the asshole. Um and so it's very like you see this internal struggle and it's it's pretty funny. And this kid is doing whatever he can. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And so he he offers to have sex with her, take the curse upon himself. She says no. And again, tries to kiss her and she brushes him off. Yeah. In, I mean, a great fashion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And and this, again, sort of plays into that where it's. You, you, you're pretty sure that she didn't pass it along yet because maybe she is interested in Paul. She certainly seems to enjoy hanging out with him, but she maybe she's refusing because she doesn't want to give it to him because she's worried that it'll get him next. So there's it, this sort of lead up to the climax. It gives you a lot to think about in terms of sort of the morality of dealing with this issue, which is, again, something that is helped by the movie moving at such a methodical pace. It really lets you sort of soak in it. Gives you plenty um, of time to think. It also gives them plenty of time to think. And so they come up with this uh, cockamamie idea 
of, <laughs> of luring it to the swimming pool and dropping electrical devices into it. It's and they, the worst plan of all time. Yeah, it's really awful. And Jay, Very realistic. You, yes, for sure. It, I mean, at this point, what do you do? They've already shot it. It didn't do anything. Um, they've already threatened it with a broom. That didn't do anything. <laughs> so these are your options. The, you, first, you try shooting it. Then you try brooming it. And if that doesn't work, you electrocute it in the public pool. The way that and, the kid comes up with the idea, too, it, it almost feels like it would be a Shyamalan moment where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. That's right. There's the water on the fireplace and, uh, and and the bats on the wall. Like he's like, OK, she really likes pools. We had our first kiss at the pool. And uh, yeah, OK, so we'll just electrocute it in the pool. Good. Yeah. And, and it's a terrible plan made all the worse by the fact that Jay has to be in the pool for it to work. So so she is literally bait in this pool that is supposed to become electrocuted. Um, <laughs> Surrounded by by things with which to electrocute it. Exactly, exactly. So better hope nobody just accidentally kicks one in. <laughs> and These kids who have already showed themselves to be very competent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, and so they're waiting in the pool, they spot the entity, and it doesn't it, it doesn't go into the pool though. It sorta it shows signs of intelligence. And well, he's, what Hughes says at the beginning, he says it's slow, but it's smart. And right. Well, I he says that, it's not. He says it's not dumb. He doesn't necessarily say smart, but he says it's not that's dumb. Right, that's right. Because it's like don't go into a place with with no exit because it'll just wait for you. Basically, is what he says. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it's it at least has the barest minimum of like it understands what will kill other people or it or you know that it has to come out eventually. That sort of thing. A sentiment that apparently did not sink in for Jay. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so this entity just starts hurling these electric devices at her. <laughs> just throwing, throwing TVs them. at her head. And and in this scene, I want to point out, um, this is one of those scenes where we we see it from her friend's point of view, meaning you're seeing nothing. You're yeah. just seeing these electrical appliances just get thrown at her head out of nowhere. She's like, like pointing at it. She's like, oh my God, there it is, there it is. And even you are like, I can't see it. Where the hell is it? It really puts you in their shoes. The whole time they're like, Jay, you have to point at it. Like, show us where it is. And while while she's freaking out, understandably, and trying to avoid uh, electronic devices being hurled at her in a pool, she uh, Paul is trying to kill it and uh, shoots Yara in the leg. <laughs> so the foretold shooting of the friend doesn't da- in fact happen. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yes, indeed. So so he shoots Yara, and everyone is like, oh my god, what's happening? Jay it finally gets, the, the entity enters into the pool. The entity enters, <laughs> and it gets into the pool, and it starts holding Jay down, trying to drown her, and Paul, uh, he shoots at them again, and Shooting directly it. at Jay. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's and, and he hits it, and the entity lets go of Jay just enough for her to get out. And Paul asks Jay, is the entity dead? Like, obviously, she's still the only one who can see it. And she sees it fill with blood. Like, it just... Great it's, Scott. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it's this just voluminous cloud of blood that just sort of erupts in the pool. Not erupts, like, out of the water, but it, it just blooms there. The water is so blue and the blood is so red. It's like a yeah. painting. It's like a moving painting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
here again, we sort of get this. It's not necessarily left super up in the air, but it does. It's possible that they in my in my mind, there's three things that possibly happened. One, they killed it there. It did, in fact, die after they escape. Paul and Jay become a couple. They have sex. We see them have sex. And Paul drives past uh, some prostitutes. So <laughs> it's so option two <laughs> is that the entity is yes, dead or not dead. Doesn't really impact this part in that Paul then yes, passes it on to the prostitutes or no passes it on to the prostitutes. Is it this baby faced man driving <laughs> past these really, uh, I don't know, not particularly attractive prostitutes. Great shot. It, yeah. And, 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 yeah, it's it's really funny to watch. Like he looks so nervous, and that's part of why you're like, does he actually pass it on? Because he he drives past them, and the way that it's framed, it sort of looks like he he just keeps going, not like he pulls over or anything. Yeah. So we have now had two branching pathways here. Either it is dead or it isn't dead, and Paul does or does not pass it on. Um, and the third option that I saw some people talking about is that Jay and Paul just pass the curse back and forth to each other as a couple. And that that's their way of defeating this is that they just keep passing it back and forth. And that one of them can avoid it for a little bit. And then the other one can get some sleep. Uh, That this is their way of defeating it is just to be in sort of this committed relationship. But as we see Jay, the last shot is Jay and Paul walking down the street. They're holding hands and framed in between them in another great shot is a figure walking towards them. And we don't know, this is again why we don't know if this entity is dead or not. We have no way of knowing if this person is the entity. They can look like anybody. Right, and they have no idea if this person is the entity. It's just sort of, this. the way that they handle this really just sort of cements the uncertainty of it all. Where you're like, I, you constantly have to look over your shoulder again, like I was talking about with the mirror. Um, and in this sort of interim, this is, as we were talking about earlier, we, we see her go into the house and we see a picture of the dad that was absent throughout this entire uh, movie. We see Jay's dad in a photo and we realize that the entity at the pool was in the shape of her father. So... There's sort of all this trauma going on for all of these kids in addition to all this stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it really it just is beating on them. And one other thing that uh, I think is interesting that sort of gives the idea, like, let, lets people who aren't paying so much attention to the little, like, the prop work. Um, Jay says to Kelly... Uh, I don't want to tell you what it looks like when she asks because she doesn't want to freak her out and be like, oh, yeah, it's our dad who is either dead or gone. Yeah. Um, and like he's he's assaulting me right now. He's trying to <laughs> throw uh, electronic equipment at me. Dad threw a TV at my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so there's all sorts of interesting stuff happening at the end here where, you know, we we get this uncertainty. We get one last little twist of the knife with the dad thing. Um, and it ends with, I don't want to call it the most hopeful thing I've ever seen, but it certainly seems like Jay and Paul have come to grips with things at the very least. It's, Um, it's both hopeful and at the same time, hopeless. Um, and, and, you know, 
much to your point with the hopeful part is they there's two two final shots um first you're seeing from from the front of them and the, and it is walking potentially it is walking behind them and then the very final shot is it's from behind them and uh and you see them moving forward um you know as uh, kind of like you're saying as if perhaps they've accepted it and they're just going to try to move on and live mm-hmm. with this yeah it's it's really it's it's a nice sort of way to cap it all off um one thing that I definitely want to talk about, it's it's come it comes up a lot around this movie, is that a lot of people view this as a, a metaphor for STDs and oh, yeah. sort of like a sex shaming thing for uh, against sexual promiscuity. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because when I was reading about what David Robert Mitchell said about this movie, he said that he added the sexual aspect of passing it on at a very different point than the reoccurring nightmare that he had. And so I wonder if you think that it, that this is a very intentional metaphor and that it is about STDs or if it's possibly about something else. So uh, to, to that end, let me say that part of it feels not necessarily about STDs necessarily, but just sort of the point in someone's life when they become sexually active and sort of what, what goes through your mind and everything after you like it's it's there's no way to around it it's a, it's a different stage of life and at one point they ask jay do you feel any different after she had sex and the idea is do you feel different after passing it on but it, it's like that feels like a very normal question after someone had sex for the first time is like do i feel different now am i a different person am i still the same person you can feel isolating or ashamed if you're not comfortable with the way that it happened and there's a lot of sort of allusion to symptoms and side effects of teenage depression which is something that happens around that time um, and could be uh, again about feeling uncomfortable with being a sexually active person you know at one point, Jay is lining up blades of grass on her upper leg. It very mm-hmm. much looks like self-harm scars. Um, Jay does not eat the food that's in her room. So, you know, that could very easily be sort of like an eating disorder thing. The only thing that gets touched from that tray is a pill. So is it, you know, it's sort of alluding to uh, a drug dependency. It, it's really, there's a lot of stuff that makes it feel not necessarily more innocent than STDs, but it doesn't feel like that's necessarily the only explanation for what's happening here. So I really want to, I want to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I, um, I can see the, the obvious comparisons to, to STDs, but for me, I mean, again, the thing that really, really stuck out to me about all these characters is how infantilized they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay being, you know, our leading lady, like, Throughout pretty much the entire movie, she 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 seems very childlike. Her voice is very kind of high pitched, and kind of the way that she speaks, and the way that indeed all the friends interact, they really feel like they're kids. Um, right. And kind of like you're saying, like, and she even mentions it at the beginning, kind of during like, like the pillow talk, like, like she's like, oh, now that we're older, you know, now this is what we're doing, and yeah. and it feel you know for kind of people who are presumably late teens, early twenties. Um, who are, I guess, kind of a little bit more immature, a little bit more childlike. It it seems like kind of like like the whole sex thing 
is like this i mean it's almost like, like a monster in itself right yeah um and so i mean what better way for for this you know this dream or like this nightmare that that we've been talking about the whole time um to really manifest than in this thing that is already driving these kids crazy you know yeah. um and all the everyone except everyone who is around jay is younger than her so when she's trying to explain the what she's going through and they're not necessarily understanding or really coming to terms with it again it it really makes sense because they if if she's the first one in their friend group to have sex then sort of the emotional turmoil that she's feeling afterward you know it it could be very hard to communicate that to someone totally. so it, it really it totally uh makes sense to me why she would have a hard time getting the, her friend group to understand yeah and and the theme of sex is everywhere throughout the movie too i mean so we, we've already mentioned how like, like it takes like, like the shape very often of, of nude people but also like like stuff you know there's uh there's discussion and all act of eventually they find porno mags as like, when when jay's in the hospital at one point you see like, like it's like it's like a throwaway shot but like you see kind of like, like a woman i guess like like a nurse and a doctor that they seem to be like hitting it off in like, a locker room and then like like it everything feels very sexualized and all from like a very negative standpoint. And I don't think it's sex shaming so much as, like you said, it's really calling attention um, to the fact that like, this is this big thing this, uh, that's kind of like overhanging all of them. You mm-hmm. know, Paul so clearly wants Jay and just so it's just such like a great way to do it that, you know, when he finally gets her, it's in the wake of this terrible nightmarish thing that's happening. Right. And so in that way, I mean, whether intentional or not, it almost seems like more than a metaphor for STDs, it's potentially just a metaphor for sex in these child, in, in, in these kids' lives. Jay has sex, and then suddenly sex is everything in their world, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. And, and then, you know, she sleeps with her neighbor, um, and then Paul wants to have sex with her. And, you know, it's always, you know, there's always these negative consequences to it, but it's just everywhere. Well, Jerry, uh, I think we've covered a ton about this movie uh had a great discussion but i gotta know why do you think this is the best horror movie ever made i mean simply put i think that it checks all the boxes it has it has the classic tropes right i mean you know there's always like like the classic trope in horror movies that sex is bad um you've got your kids who are uh both likable and also kind of interestingly really not all that fleshed out it almost allows you to kind of put yourself in their shoes and throughout the whole movie there's just really this sense of dread the uh the score really brings on this uh this sense of dread throughout the whole thing it's very minimalistic um and yet at the same time really builds tension the, yeah, done the, by Disaster Piece, who we forgot to mention, but he does do a great job with this score. Yeah, and just, like, the gimmick of the whole thing is the perfect setup for to elicit that dread. Kind of, at all times, while, while you're watching this movie, you're interested to see what the characters are doing, but at the same time, you're scanning the background. You're looking for what, for if it's coming. And there's just so many different ways that you're unsettled, even in ways that you wouldn't find in normal horror movies. Like we already mentioned the fact that when does this take place? You don't even know what time of year this takes place in. People are wearing sweaters and thermals, and yet they're also going for a swim in the lake. Um, (laughs) There's there's almost nothing that you can grip onto besides these rules and this thing that's coming, and we don't know how the hell to stop it. 
it totally throws you off kilter from like the very first second all the way to the end and you know it, it does so without having to rely on really really heavy gore or lots of jump scares it's it's i think it's a movie that both you know um be a film critic could love but also just kind of somebody who doesn't really know what's going on or doesn't know too much about um about horror they can watch it and still kind of you know get some of that it trusts its audience and i, I really love that about it and i mean it's just a fun watch too yeah uh i totally agree for me this is it follows is the greatest horror movie of all time because it honors the movies of the past while still bringing the genre forward in an interesting way. I completely it, agree. It very much, uh, like I said, there's already the one homage to um, Halloween in that when she's sitting in the classroom, but the whole sort of aesthetic of it with these big wide shots and you're looking in the background past the character to scan the background, like you said, is very Halloween. That's definitely something, you know, at the beginning of Halloween two, when uh, the girl is just on the phone at the in, like in the house, and you just see Michael Myers slip into the house behind oh, her. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so scary. And <laughs> this does a great job of sort of calling that to mind. It also, like we said, sort of, it sort of seems to set itself in the past, despite also being the future. So it, it, it's taking a lot from what came before it, but at the same time. It has something to say about sex and and the modern approach to it, whether it, you're getting something out of it about STDs or about the general approach to sex and the and the play the what it plays in our culture. But it it also it it, it doesn't move it forward just in the like oh we're gonna be lazy and just rely on jump scares. It has jump scares, but it uses them in a way that is positive for the genre. It's not lazy. And it uses these in conjunction with the dread that we've talked so much about that it, it's all working. It's all firing at 100 percent. It's 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 all working together, though, which is what really plays such a big impact. Um, I think that the performances are also very good. We don't we didn't talk a lot about the performances, but they're solid. They're, they're I don't think good. they're excellent, but they're good. They're good. Yeah, and they does and, a good job of playing the victim. Her friends seem very endearing and, uh, and you know, they seem genuinely uh, interested in keeping her safe. Yeah, uh, and you really feel the panic, though, which is, I, I think, the biggest thing for them is being able to communicate that. Because if we don't believe that they're scared, then I'm not scared. And it's and, a slow panic, which you mm -hmm. never see. It's, yeah. it's so interesting. <laughs> so for those things and the fact that I burned my leg with hot soup because of the tall guy... <laughs> This is the greatest horror movie ever made. Jerry, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I had a great time. Do you yeah. have anything that you want to plug before you go? Sure, yeah. Um, so if anybody likes s'mores, I think, feel like most people do. Um, I co-own and operate a, uh, a company that does inside-out s'mores called Tuckins. And uh, for those of you who like death metal, death metal and horror, two, two great things that go great together – I'm also the vocalist of a band called Illustrium. Uh, we do kind of like, like progressive techno death metal. We got an album coming out uh, either late this year or early next year that's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I actually really love Illustrium. I'm looking forward to the third album. I loved the second album, A Tunnel to Eden. It was really great. So if you're waiting for the third album, why not check out the second one also? Uh, Thank you. That gets the George seal of approval. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um Thanks for coming on to talk about this movie with me, Jer. Bye, Thanks everyone. So much for